Hello and welcome to the Lazy Book Club podcast, the book club for those who don't want to read or leave the house. My name is Matt Gonzalez. Hold it, flashbang, what order picture? It's David Cox. <laughs> and I'm Josh Matheson. And this week we are looking at chapter seven of Animal Farm. Now, yeah. last week, the windmill's fallen down, boys. It's It's been a disastrous time on Animal Farm. It blew over in a storm. It was incredible. Well, it was shoddy building, wasn't it? That was the problem. No, it was Snowball. He did it all. <laughs> it was a snowball effect. <laughs> I've done that joke. <laughs> you haven't. I appreciated it. I'm loving that Josh has bought in completely to the propaganda that has been sold to him. Uh, by yeah. Hook, line and sinker. <laughs> Whatever Kermit says, I believe. <laughs> I, mean, I really like to see like a Soviet style poster i mean surely someone's done it like an, a soviet with that font but for like animal farm and it's like squealer i'd love to see that maybe we should look for some animal farm soviet art okay because i i i've sure got a exists. soft spot for that sort of like big dramatic poppy colors and stuff mm. and then there's squealer on the front i'd love that animal farm has also now started trading with its neighboring farms which is against mr. the rules mr mr winkle no what's his name Wimper. Wimper. Not Mr. Winker. Yeah. Mr. Wimper is now their intermediary or whatever they're called. Intermediate. Yeah. Yeah, that one. Yeah. He's, Do you he's think Mr. Wimper like woke up one day and he was like, what? He's like on his, his driving and he's like, so I'm, I'm literally about to broker a deal with a pig. <laughs> like, how did he get to this? You couldn't not like second guess yourself. It would be surreal. It's so funny. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, if this is the, if this is the first moment we've started thinking that this is a bit sort of surreal, then... We're definitely not in the right business because it's all a bit weird. Mm. Well, the fact that the animals can talk makes the way that Jones treats them in the beginning just absolutely abhorrent as well. Because it's like these these animals have obviously shown you that they have the intellect and the ability to feel emotions and obviously as humans do. And yet you are beating them. I mean, I'm probably sounding like a vegan activist at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) Millions. Could have been greatest showman, but no, you know. Mm. Well, we have to assume but, uh, that the world that has been created is one in which animals can speak generally. Otherwise, yeah. why would nobody have remarked on it? Yeah, it's an alternate universe, and it's it must it's be a sort of it's a what if scenario. Yeah, and we really shouldn't is. take things literally. And again, that is a lesson. If if we're still thinking that we have to take everything literally, then this is probably not the podcast. <laughs> uh, probably not. <laughs> no. He says like. The 14 months after um <laughs> the last thing just to flag up as well is that the pigs are now in the house and they're sleeping yeah. in the beds but not, not, on the sheets. not on the sheets not that's on the, the sheets. only thing that they've managed to like add into the rules in order to get around them oh and they also get up an hour later as well yeah so they really are working this system for their own benefit now. And the animals, because they're working for themselves and they've got their pride in the windmill, they haven't really cottoned on that they're pretty much living under the same regime as they did under Jones, just with animals at the top instead of humans. Yeah, they don't even get their Sundays off anymore, do they? No, because of the voluntary labour that's not voluntary. The voluntary, not voluntary labour. Yeah, kind of rations. Very bad. Well, should we see what uh, Napoleon has in store for us? I can only guess. Chapter 7 It was a bitter winter. The stormy weather was followed by sleet and snow, and then by a hard frost, 
which did not break till well into February. The animals carried on as best they could with the rebuilding of the windmill, well knowing that the outside world was watching them, and that the envious human beings would rejoice and triumph if the mill were not finished on time. Out of spite, the human beings pretended not to believe that it was Snowball who had destroyed the windmill. They said that it had fallen down because the walls were too thin. The animals knew that this was not the case. Still, it had been decided to build the walls three feet thick this time, instead of 18 inches as before, which meant collecting much larger quantities of stone. I love that it's that typical thing of, you know, whenever people comment on the politics of another country and they go, you don't even go here. Like, stay out of our <laughs> politics. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, mm. they've just gone, oh, these people just out of spite are, are saying these awful things about our windmill. We're going to believe that it's this instead. And it just, it's like, but you see that in every day all the time where, you know, everyone's going, the election wasn't stolen. What are you on about? And everyone's going, oh, no, you're not American. So you don't have a stay. Da, da, da. It was stolen. Yeah. And they're just willfully you know, believing the lies rather than what everybody else in the world. Or, oh, COVID was just brought in to, to bring down Trump. It's like, you know, this is a global pandemic, right? This is affecting <laughs> everybody and Trump isn't the president of the planet. So that makes Blinkered no sense. Blinkered vision. <laughs> Blinkered vision. I also love that it's like, yeah, you know, oh, now we've decided to make them three feet thicker, but that has nothing to do with why it fell down. <laughs> yeah, it definitely wasn't that, but we'll do it anyway. Yeah, it's so stupid. For a long time, the quarry was full of snowdrifts and nothing could be done. Some progress was made in the dry, frosty weather that followed, but it was cruel work and the animals could not feel so hopeful about it as they had felt before. They were always cold, and usually hungry as well. Only Boxer and Clover never lost heart. Squealer made excellent speeches on the joy of service and the dignity of labour, but the other animals found more inspiration in Boxer's strength and his never-failing cry of, I will work harder. In January food fell short. The corn ration was drastically reduced, and it was announced that an extra potato ration would be issued to make up for it. When it was discovered that the greater part of the potato crop had been frosted in the clamps, which had not been covered thickly enough, the potatoes had become soft and discoloured, and only a few were edible. For days at a time, the animals had nothing to eat but chaff, and mangles. Starvation seemed to stare them in the face. It was vitally necessary to conceal this fact from the outside world. Emboldened by the collapse of the windmill, the human beings were inventing fresh lies about Animal Farm. Once again, it was being put about that all the animals were dying of famine and disease, and that they were continually fighting among themselves, and had resorted to cannibalism and infanticide. Napoleon was well aware of the bad results that might follow if the real facts of the food situation were known, and he decided to make use of Mr Wimper to spread the contrary impression. Do you know what this reminds me of? And again, I'm not quite on the same as Matt's level in terms of knowing sort of 
case situations in history. Um, but in the context of the world of football, believe it or not, um, <laughs> my favourite story from the 2010 World Cup, uh, North Korea qualified and um, they didn't do very well. But um, North Korea, um, I, I mean, it's, it's, I guess it's different in a way, but North Korea broadcast for their own people and also made broadcasts for, for the world to make it appear like they'd won every game 5-0. And like they, they, they like they staged certain games, and they like put people wow. in like yellow t-shirts for like Brazil, and they go, no, no, this is this was the actual result. So That's they not mental. only tried to broadcast for this for other people, but their own people as well. Yeah. So they're trying to convince everybody. Everyone's like, but no, but we we saw it. We saw the <laughs> game. The equipment of looking over the fence. Yeah, they have a state media which no one no one can watch. You know anything but that. So. To everybody within those borders, they'd be like, well, yeah, that's what happened because we've not seen anything to the contrary. But this is also what happened with the Soviet Union, because in the day, like you don't want if you're trying to present to the world stage that you are a superpower, because particularly you got to remember that like after World War Two and as the kind of Cold War progressed onwards, you know, there was a slight vacuum of power because Europe, Europe had taken a massive hit. Germany, England and France were all economically weakened and militarily weakened. So it was entrance of America onto the world stage as a superpower. And Russia on the other side was kind of trying to be that match to them as well. So you can't have people going around saying, oh, yeah, they don't even have money to feed their population when you're trying to compete as a rival superpower to somebody else on the world stage. So they've obviously just, it's like now become external propaganda as much as internal propaganda. Hitherto, the animals had had little or no contact with Wimper on his weekly visits. Now, however, a few selected animals, mostly sheep, were instructed to remark casually in his hearing that rations had been increased. In addition, Napoleon ordered the almost empty bins in the store shed to be filled nearly to the brim with sand, which was then covered up with what remained of the grain and meal. On some suitable pretext, Wimper was led through the store shed and allowed to catch a glimpse of the bins. He was deceived and continued to report to the outside world that there was no food shortage on Animal Farm. Nevertheless, toward the end of January, it became obvious that it would be necessary to procure some more grain from somewhere. In these days, Napoleon rarely appeared in public, but spent all his time in the farmhouse, which was guarded at each door by fierce-looking dogs. When he did emerge, it was in a ceremonial manner, with an escort of six dogs, who closely surrounded him and growled if anyone came too near. Frequently, he did not even appear on Sunday mornings, but issued his orders through one of the other pigs, usually Squealer. So you can see here that Napoleon has basically become a totalitarian leader. He's obviously very paranoid about his position as leader as well, hence the extra security. And then Mm. the whole ceremony is about creating a cult of personality And you see this with dictators all the time in one in terms of the security detail, because at the end of the day, if you've wrestled power through a rebellion, what you are always worried about is the next rebellion, 
because you yeah. have legitimized that way of creating a government. So all it will take is just somebody with more violence or more power than you in terms of military strength or violent strength to overthrow you. And it's legitimate because that's how you took power. And then the, the cult of personality of like just kind of making it all about you and making it, you know, everything centers around you, the whole world centers around you. You only have to look at like Kim Jong-un and Saddam Hussein was a, a prime example of that. Just this, mm. the whole government centered around him. And so as soon as America took him out, that's why Iraq collapsed because he was the thing that held it all together by his own design. Do you think he's a little bit, do you think he's petrified of Snowball as well? Do you think he almost sees him, knows deep down he's probably inferior intellectually? Part of this must come down to him being terrified, hence why he needs to have that circle of protection all the time. Yeah, I definitely think he's worried about, because obviously if you've got a circle of educated upstarts around you, i.e. you know, other pigs, you are probably going to be constantly worried that somebody slightly smarter might come along and undermine you. And Napoleon, we know, is smart, but he's not the smartest. He wasn't the smartest pig. He grabbed the power because he, he had the forethought to grab the puppies when they were young. So we know he's not the most intelligent and he's not the most imaginative and he's not the most creative. But what he is very, very good at is arresting power and basically keeping it to himself. But yeah, you are going to be paranoid. I don't know how much he almost believes the snowball stuff because he is also the fabricator of it. So I don't know to what extent, because there are there does come a point where sometimes people start believing their own lies. Well, I think Trump probably did to an extent. It's definitely a narcissistic trait. Everybody in the Isn't White it? House said like, that after the results came in, he was walking around up and down in the White House like a madman going, I won, I won, I won, I won, I won, to himself. And they were all standing there looking at him like, oh my God, he's No, he was saying, I'm one, I'm one, I'm one, I'm one, I'm one. I'm one. <laughs> <laughs> one Sunday morning, Squealer announced that the hens, who had just come in to lay again, must surrender their eggs. Napoleon had accepted, through Wimper, a contract for 400 eggs a week. The price of these would pay for enough grain and meal to keep the farm going, till summer came on and conditions were easier. When the hens heard this, they raised a terrible outcry. They had been warned earlier that this sacrifice might be necessary, but had not believed that it would really happen. They were just getting their clutches ready for the spring sitting, and they protested that to take the eggs away now was murder. For the first time since the expulsion of Jones, there was something resembling a rebellion. Led by three young black Menorca pullets. I don't know what... Is that a type of chicken? Black uh, Menorca. So. They, yeah, have, they do have weird names, don't they? They do. Um... Have you ever seen some of like the weird chickens that exist? There's some absolutely. Fun. There's some some with like really uh, incredible like yeah, feather boas around their necks. Um, weird chickens. chickens. There's a blue one that's pretty special. Yeah, I'm doing when I'm doing this bizarre chicken species. <laughs> Matt, you look up the pullet, uh, mullet, or oh, whatever it's called. Black Minorca. Black bizarre Minorca. Yeah, M I N O R C A. Oh my goodness gracious! I mean, I've not got a black menorca, but I'm I'm down the rabbit hole or the chicken hole here. <laughs> down the chicken hole. Oh, I mean, it's, a, it's a beautiful bird, is it? I yeah. Look at that. Oh yeah, that is a textbook chicken. 
That is textbook, that isn't would, it? Yeah, that, I was going to say. That would make a uh, tea towel. Led by three young black Minorca pullets, the, hu- the Huns. Brilliant. We'll start again. The Huns. <laughs> Hi, Huns. The Huns. <laughs> See, I'm thinking like Mulan, like the invasion of the Huns China, have invaded China. Gone, like proper darling with it. Like, hey, Hun, you okay, Hun? <laughs> UK, Hun. <laughs> Led by three young black Minorca pullets, the hens made a determined effort to thwart Napoleon's wishes. Their method was to fly up to the rafters and lay their eggs there, which smashed to pieces on the floor. Napoleon acted swiftly and ruthlessly. He ordered the hens' rations to be stopped and decreed that any animal giving so much as a grain of corn to a hen should be punished by death. The dogs saw to it that the orders were carried out. For five days the hens held out. Then they catapulted and went back. No, they didn't. They didn't catapult. (laughs) 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 Then they catapulted themselves (laughs) at the rest of the animals. Isn't that a scene in Chicken Run where they use a catapult to try and catapult themselves over the fence to get out? They did. Then they catapulted themselves over the fence and away. (laughs) No, they capitulated is what they did. That's them chickens are up word. to something. Is that that's a line? I swear from Chicken Run. Yeah, it is. Up to something. Yeah. No, it's in Chicken Run. He goes. He goes. Um, the chick, uh, Mrs. Tweedy. The chickens are revolting. And then she's like, <laughs> then she's like, finally something we agree on. <laughs> it's a good line. Such a great movie. For five days the hens held out. Then they capitulated and went back to their nesting boxes. Nine hens had died in the meantime. Their bodies were buried in the orchard, and it was given out that they had died of David Coxidiosis. <laughs> I'm famous. So I, I, I couldn't resist not doing that. Anyway, <clears throat> Read it again. Their bodies were buried in the orchard, and it was given out that they had died of Coxidiosis. Wimper heard nothing of this affair, and the eggs were duly delivered. A grocer's van driving up to the farm once a week to take them away. All this while, no more had been seen of Snowball. He was rumoured to be hiding on one of the neighbouring farms, either Foxwood or Pinchfield. Napoleon was by this time on slightly better terms with the other farmers than before. It happened that there was in the yard a pile of timber, which had been stacked there ten years earlier, when a beech spinney was cleared. It was well seasoned, and Wimper had advised Napoleon to sell it. Both Mr Pilkington and Mr Frederick were anxious to buy it. Napoleon was hesitating between the two, unable to make up his mind. It was noticed that whenever he seemed on the point of coming to an agreement with Frederick, Snowball was declared to be hiding at Foxwood, while when he inclined towards Pilkington, Snowball was said to be at Pinchfield. Suddenly, early in the spring, an alarming thing was discovered. Snowball was secretly frequenting the farm by night. (gasps) The animals were so disturbed. Thank you. I wanted that gasp there. It felt (laughs) Can you believe I've read this book before? This is stupid. (laughs) I'm still going like, apparently I've I've heard of this all before, but no. Yeah, but it doesn't mean, I I, I mean, I've read, I know the story, but I'm Mm. still lost. I mean, like, I don't remember things. Yeah. I've watched the movie as well. I don't know. Have you? Is it good? Yeah, I can't actually no, tell you. No, you watched the movie. Oh, God. 
Was it keep, bad? Keep, keep reading, Josh, please. Save us all. <laughs> Director had a man. Save the podcast. Save us. <laughs> the animals were so disturbed that they could hardly sleep in their stalls. Every night, it was said, he came creeping in under the cover of darkness and performed all kinds of mischief. He stole the corn. He upset the milk pails. He broke the eggs. He trampled the seed beds. He gnawed the bark off the fruit trees. Whenever anything went wrong, it became usual to attribute it to Snowball. If a window was broken or a drain was blocked up, someone was certain to say that Snowball had come in the night and done it. And when the key of the store shed was lost, the whole farm was convinced that Snowball had thrown it down the well. Curiously enough, they went on believing this, even after the mislaid key was found under a sack of meal. The cows declared unanimously that Snowball crept into their stalls and milked them in their sleep. The rats. <laughs> That's quite I creepy mean, and invasive. It's not like groping or like what? It's a bit gropey, yeah. Sexual harassment? Like what? <laughs> oh, yeah. Just coming in for a yeah. midnight milk. <laughs> oh, it's so creepy. The rats, which had been troublesome that winter, were also said to be in league with Snowball. Napoleon decreed that there should be a full investigation into Snowball's activities. With his dogs in attendance, he set out and made a careful tour of inspection of the farm buildings, the other animals following at a respectful distance. At every few steps, Napoleon stopped and snuffed the ground for traces of Snowball's footsteps, which, he said, he could detect by the smell. He snuffed in every corner. In the barn, in the cowshed, in the hen houses, in the vegetable garden, and found traces of Snowball almost everywhere. He would put his snout to the ground, give several deep sniffs, and exclaim in a terrible voice, Snowball! He has been here! I can smell him distinctly! And at the word snowball, all the dogs let out blood-curdling growls and showed their side teeth. The animals were thoroughly frightened. It seemed to them as though snowball was some kind of invisible influence, pervading the air about them and menacing them with all kinds of dangers. In the evening, Squealer called them together and with an alarmed expression on his face, told them that he had some serious news to report. Comrades! <laughs> it's never not funny. You know, I, I could feel it's it coming. The like best. The fact that he had a serious thing to report. I knew what I had to do. Yeah. And I was like, it's not going to be serious. It's just great that every <laughs> sentence that he starts always starts with comrades. It's just, I it just love But it. it works so well in the Kermit because it's just like a nice warm... Comrades! Comrades! cried Squealer, making little nervous skips. A most terrible thing has been discovered. Snowball has sold himself to Frederick of Pinchfield Farm, who is now, even now, planning to attack us and take our farm away from us. Snowball is to act as his guide when the attack begins. But there is worse than that. We had thought that Snowball's rebellion was caused simply by his vanity and ambition. But we were wrong, comrades. Do you know what the real reason was? Snowball was in league with Jones from the very start. 
He was Jones's secret agent all the time. It has all been proved by documents which he left behind him and which have only just been discovered. To my mind, this explains a great deal, comrades. Did we not see for ourselves how he attempted, fortunately without success, to get us defeated and destroyed at the Battle of the Cowshed? The animals were stupefied. This was a wickedness far outdoing Snowball's destruction of the windmill. But it was some minutes before they could fully take it in. They all remembered, or thought they remembered, how they had seen Snowball charging ahead of them at the Battle of the Cowshed how he had rallied and encouraged them at every turn, and how he had not paused for an instant even when the pellets from Jones's gun had wounded his back. At first, it was a little difficult to see how this fitted in with his being on Jones's side. Even Boxer, who seldom asked questions, was puzzled. He lay down, tucked his four hooves beneath him, shut his eyes, and with a hard effort managed to formulate his thoughts. I just want to jump in here because obviously, again, these are just tactics that you currently see all the time. So you've got Napoleon constantly trying to cast doubt on the loyalty of Snowball in order to make sure that all the animals trust him and him only. That's what the outcome of this is. Because he's basically going, you can't trust anybody but me because everybody else is out to deceive you. Who does that sound like? You can't trust the lamestream media. It's fake news. You can't trust that person. They're corrupt. You, The only person you can trust is me. I'm the only person who will tell you the truth. Tactics, man. It's it's so unbelievably upsetting how relevant this book is today (laughs) i was gonna say not to toot our own horn but we picked the perfect time in a post-trump world to read this novel yeah because you just go probably should have read it during then maybe it would have highlighted to a few more people just how much of a dictator in development he was i do not believe that he said snowball fought bravely at the battle of the cow shed i saw him myself did we not give him animal hero first class immediately afterwards? That was our mistake, comrade. For we now know it is all written down in the secret documents that we have found that in reality he was trying to lure us to our doom. <laughs> <laughs> lure us to our doom. <laughs> You just can't take a sentence like that seriously when it's read in that. It just sounds like hyperbole, doesn't it? It's yeah, brilliant. just to play with it. Yeah, amazing. What's also <laughs> worth highlighting here is that obviously nobody on this farm can read these documents apart from the pigs. That's a so like he could literally be waving papers in it that literally say, you are all idiots on it, and they wouldn't <laughs> yeah. know. Look, it says it right here. <laughs> They've ripped some pages from a cookbook. <laughs> Basically, yeah. yeah, it's the yellow pages yeah. or something. <laughs> He was wounded, said Boxer. We all saw him running with blood. That was part of the arrangement, cried Squealer. Jones's shot only grazed him. I could show you this in his own writing if you were able to read it. The plot was for Snowball at the critical moment to give the signal for flight and leave the field to the enemy. And he very nearly succeeded. 
I will even say, comrades, he would have succeeded if it had not have been for our heroic leader, Comrade Napoleon. Do you not remember how, just at the moment when Jones and his men had got inside the yard, Snowball suddenly turned and fled, and many animals followed him? And do you not remember, too, that it was just at that moment, when panic was spreading and all seemed lost, that Comrade Napoleon sprang forward with a cry of, Death to humanity! and sank his teeth in Jones's leg? Surely you remember that, comrades, exclaimed Squealer, frisking from side to side. Now when Squealer described the scene so graphically, it seemed to the animals that they did remember it. At any rate, they remembered that at the critical moment of the battle, Snowball had turned to flee. But Boxer was still a little uneasy. I do not believe that Snowball was a traitor at the beginning, he said finally. What he has done since is different, but I believe that at the Battle of the Cowshed, he was a good comrade. Our leader, Comrade Napoleon, announced Squealer, speaking very slowly and firmly, has stated categorically, categorically, comrade, <laughs> that Snowball was Jones's agent from the very beginning. Yes and from long before the rebellion was ever thought of. Ah, that is different, said Boxer. If Comrade Napoleon says it, it must be right. That's the true spirit, Comrade, cried Squealer. But it was noticed he cast a very ugly look at Boxer with his little twinkling eyes. He turned to go, then paused and added impressively, I warn every animal on this farm to keep his eyes very wide open, for we have reason to think that some of Snowball's secret agents are lurking among us at this moment. Four days later, in the late afternoon, Napoleon ordered all the animals to assemble in the yard. When they were all gathered together, Napoleon emerged from the farmhouse, wearing both his medals for he had recently awarded himself Animal Hero First Class and Animal <laughs> Hero Second Class, with his nine huge dogs frisking round him. Yeah, maybe that's what our merch should be for this book, Animal Hero First Class Light Bang, Pins. Yeah, yeah that's I what think we, we should get, get made. <laughs> Patreon merch. We'll send yeah. it to the Patreon folk, yeah. <laughs> but what, what, was the, what was the badge made of? Wasn't it like a bottle cap or something? Uh, something like that, yeah. It was a bit like a bit of like horseshoe or something. I think we could produce it quite quickly. Just make it out of something lying around the house. Yeah, add a bit of ribbon. Yeah, it would, it would look like the little um, what is it? The little the little grape soda badge from Up. It yes, like that. exactly yeah. like that. With his nine huge dogs frisking round him and uttering growls that sent shivers down all the animals' spines, they all cowered silently in their places, seeming to know in advance that some terrible thing was about to happen. Napoleon stood, sternly surveying his audience. Then he uttered a high-pitched whimper. Immediately the dogs bounded forward, seized four of the pigs by the ear, and dragged them, squealing with pain and terror, to Napoleon's feet. The pigs' ears were bleeding. The dogs had tasted blood, and for a few moments they appeared to go quite mad. To the amazement of everybody, Three of them flung themselves upon Boxer. 
Boxer saw them coming and put out his great hoof, caught a dog in mid-air and pinned him to the ground. The dog shrieked for mercy, and the other two fled with their tails between their legs. Boxer looked at Napoleon to know whether he should crush the dog to death or let it go. Napoleon appeared to change countenance and sharply ordered Boxer to let the dog go, whereat Boxer lifted his hoof and the dog slunk away, bruised and howling. Presently the tumult died down. The four pigs waited, trembling with guilt written on every line of their countenances, Napoleon now called upon them to confess their crimes. They were the same four pigs as had protested when Napoleon abolished the Sunday meetings. Without any further prompting, they confessed that they had been secretly in touch with Snowball ever since his expulsion, that they had corroborate, that they had collaborated with him in destroying the windmill, and that they had entered into an agreement with him to hand over Animal Farm to Mr. Frederick. They added that Snowball had privately admitted to them that he had been Jones' secret agent for some years past. When they had finished their confession, the dogs promptly tore their throats out, and in a terrible voice Napoleon demanded whether any other animal had anything to confess. The three hens, who had been the ringleaders in the attempted rebellion over the eggs, now came forward and stated that Snowball had appeared to them in a dream and incited them to disobey Napoleon's orders. They too were slaughtered. Then a goose came forward and confessed to having secreted six ears of corn during the last year's harvest and eaten them in the night. Then a sheep confessed to having urinated in the drinking pool, urged to do this, so she said, by Snowball, and two other sheep confessed to having murdered an old ram, an especially devoted follower of Napoleon, by chasing him round and round a bonfire when he was suffering from a cough. <laughs> That's a great mental image. <laughs> I mean, is that murder? <laughs> Leave me alone. Is that murder? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do love the addition of when he had a cough, like as if like if he didn't have a cough, he would have survived or something. It's, yeah, just, yeah, it's yeah. just hilarious. It's so funny. But you do wonder what made these people kind of. Do Do you think that the pigs, because they're mostly meant to be quite clever, do you think Napoleon said, you know, if you confess, I'll let you go or I'll let you off or do you know what I mean? Like why any incentive? And they're watching these people get murdered and then they're like, yeah, I've got something to say as well. Yeah, I know. Why? But you can understand it from like, you know, the stupider animals, but the pigs, they must have been told something would happen and then that didn't happen. Or was it sure they got their ears ripped off first? Well, yeah. They thought, we better say yes to anything. They were all slain on the spot. And so the tale of confessions and executions went on until there was a pile of corpses laying before Napoleon's feet, and the air was heavy with the smell of blood, which had been unknown there since the expulsion of Jones. When it was all over, the remaining animals, except for the pigs and the dogs, crept away in a body. They were shaken and miserable. They did not know which was more shocking, the treachery of the animals who had leagued themselves with Snowball or the cruel retribution they had just witnessed. In the old days, there had often been scenes of bloodshed equally terrible, 
but it seemed to all of them that it was far worse now that it was happening among themselves. Since Jones had left the farm, until today, no animal had killed another animal. Not even a rat had been killed. They had made their way on to the little knoll, where the half-finished windmill stood, and with one accord they all lay down, as though huddling together for warmth. Clover, Muriel, Benjamin, the cows, the sheep, and a whole flock of geese and hens, everyone indeed except the cat, who had suddenly disappeared just before Napoleon ordered the animals to assemble. For some time nobody spoke. Only Boxer remained on his feet. He fidgeted to and fro, swishing his long black tail against his sides and occasionally uttering a little whinny of surprise. Finally, he said, I do not understand it. I would not have believed that such things could happen on our farm. It must be due to some fault in ourselves. The solution, as I see it, is to work harder. From now onwards, I shall get up a full hour earlier in the mornings. And he moved off at his lumbering trot and made for the quarry. Having got there, he collected two successive loads of stone and dragged them down to the windmill before retiring for the night. The animals huddled about Clover, not speaking. The knoll where they were lying gave them a wide prospect across the countryside. Most of Animal Farm was within their view, the long pasture stretching down to the main road, the hayfield, the spinney, the drinking pool, the ploughed fields where the young wheat was thick and green, and the red roofs of the farm buildings, with the smoke curling from the chimneys. It was a clear spring evening. The grass and the bursting hedges were gilded by the level rays of the sun. Never had the farm, and with a kind of surprise they remembered that it was their own farm, every inch of it their own property, appeared to the animals so desirable a place. As Clover looked down the hillside, her eyes filled with tears. If she could have spoken her thoughts, it would have been to say that this was not what they had aimed at when they had set themselves years ago to work for the overthrow of the human race. These scenes of terror and slaughter were not what they had looked forward to on that night when old Major first stirred them to rebellion. If she herself had had any picture of the future, it had been of a society of animals set free from hunger and the whip, all equal, each working according to his capacity, the strong protecting the weak, as she had protected the lost brood of ducklings with her foreleg on the night of Major's speech. Instead, she did not know why, they had come to a time when no one dared speak his mind, when fierce growling dogs roamed everywhere, and where you had to watch your comrades torn to pieces after confessing to shocking crimes. There was no thought of rebellion or disobedience in her mind. She knew that even as things were, they were far better off than they had been in the days of Jones, and that before all else it was needful to prevent the return of human beings. Whatever happened, 
she would remain faithful, work hard, carry out the orders that were given to her, and accept the leadership of Napoleon. But still, it was not for this that she and all the other animals had hoped and toiled. It was not for this that they had built the windmill and faced the bullets of Jones's guns. Such were her thoughts, though she lacked the words to express them. It's such a shame because it's like, this is kind of showing that you really do have to trust your gut in terms of if something isn't right. Mm. And like, it's unfortunate because they're having all of these feelings and having all of these emotions towards what's happened. But then at the end of the day, they're just so overworked and tired and shocked and uneducated that they can't follow it through in any kind of meaningful manner so then they end up just going oh it's just that's just the way it is and i have to just accept that and it's kind of like shows that this this apathy that a lot of people feel towards politics and getting involved how much of it's like actually naturally ingrained or how much of it is just simply people just looking at the enormity of the problem and their tiny voice within it and just going, well, I can't change it anyway. So what's the point? I know that's, I mean, a lot of people that I speak to about politics. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I speak to people who like in people in the family who I know like haven't voted before. And I've sort of said, Oh, why, why, why don't you want to vote? And they're just like, not going to make a difference, is it? Mm. And it's, it's exactly that opinion, um, which is very sad. Mm. But it's just a shame just because you can just see that they know something's wrong and she can feel something's wrong, but she just doesn't know what to do about it. Yeah. It's getting to that really like horrible, poignant, kind of depressing part of this story that we all knew was coming, but it's just like, it's yeah. upsetting when you get here. <laughs> I know, I know. At last, feeling this to be in some way a substitute for the words she was unable to find, she began to sing Beasts of England. The other animals sitting round her took it up, and they sang it three times over, very tunefully, but slowly and mournfully, in a way they had never sung it before. They had just finished singing it for the third time when Squealer, attended by two dogs, approached them with the air of having something important to say. He announced that, by a special decree of Comrade Napoleon, beasts of england had been abolished from now onwards it was forbidden to sing it the animals were taken aback why cried muriel it's no longer needed comrade said squealer stiffly beasts of england was the song of the rebellion but the rebellion is now completed the execution of the traitors this afternoon was the final act the enemy, both external and internal, has been defeated. In Beasts of England, we expressed our longing for a better society in days to come, but that society has now been established. Clearly, this song has no longer any purpose. Frightened though they were, some of the animals might possibly have protested, but at this moment, the sheep set up their usual bleating of four legs good, two legs bad, which went on for several minutes and put an end to the discussion. So Beasts of England was heard no more. In its place, Minimus, the poet, 
had composed another song, which began... Should I give this a tune or should I just speak the lyrics of it? Hey, it's you only can very, How long is it? Very, two lines. It's only, it's only the opening couplet we get. <laughs> Minimus keeps it to a minimum, apparently. <laughs> it does. <laughs> He's like, I want something short. Who's got, min- who's got a name that reminds us of yeah. something small? Hi, Minimus. Minimus. Right as the short. Maximus is like, ah. <laughs> Maximus, the songs go on for days. Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah. <laughs> do, do you want to give me a genre for this or should I just... Russian folk music. <laughs> what, the, what on earth? I don't. I'm so. I'm really sorry to any Russians listening, but I don't know any folk music. Okay, just do Bohemian Rhapsody since you said it. Yeah, let's. Do I mean, that. we're not going to get very far, but okay. Um, I'll do it. Just little... go from the like, Mama. Do, 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 we'll do. We'll do the. In, we'll, I'll do the intro, and then you come in. Do, 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 do. Animal Farm, <laughs> Animal Farm, never through me shall thou come to harm. That's all we get. That's all there oh, is. Oh, wow. That is oh, it. nice. Couldn't have gone any better. the opening. Uh, it would have gone on to, to great heights, I assure you. I feel like but it's Minimus been like wanted to keep Animal it Farm, Animal Farm, never through me shall you come to harm. <laughs> Animal oh, that would have been. Yeah, then it's, then, <laughs> then it sounds like a sitcom, <laughs> and like all their names come like up. Squealer, the Muppets, and stuff going. <laughs> and this was sung every Sunday morning after the hoisting of the flag, but somehow neither the words nor the tune ever seemed to the animals to come up to beasts of England. End of chapter. It's getting depressing, isn't it? It's getting very Pathos is strong. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I do feel like, you know, of course it's not going to measure up. You've got two lines versus what, six verses. It's essentially, you know, changing. It's the like who runs the world girls of national anthems, really, isn't it? Just the same line over and over and over and over again. <laughs> no, it's, it's work, 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 work. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly that. <laughs> that would work, though, wouldn't it? Like Napoleon's like, we want you to work, 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 work. <laughs> and that's die, the end. Die, 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 die. Wow, 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 wow. Well, I mean, I, I, nobody can dispute Napoleon being a full totalitarian dictator now. He's got all of the killings going on. He's a complete I mean, wow. despot, isn't he? He's just, mm. he's he's starting to lose his. I don't know. You kind of start to worry about his mental capacity now, don't you? Where he's like just killing people willy nilly. And oh, definitely, and he's and he seems he's not he's not taking any counsel from anyone, or no. he's only inside his own head at this point. He's getting yeah. no other opinions. It's a dangerous place. Yeah, definitely. For this book, we're looking at lit charts. Lit chart. <laughs> <laughs> I think the main thing that's worth looking at in this chapter is mm. the way that Boxer handles the dogs when they attack him. The way and that it says, he's an absolute badass. Yeah, it, so it just says, it's clear from the way that Boxer handles the dog's attack that if he wanted to, he could oust Napoleon and the guard dogs without much trouble. But his unthinking loyalty to Napoleon means that he both doesn't understand who the enemy is and doesn't yeah. know that he has the strength to do anything about this unjust treatment. And it's just like, it's such a, it's so true that, you know, a lot of the time, obviously he's meant to represent the working classes. The working classes are the biggest class. 
There's a reason why the ruling class are called the 1%. It's because that's the tiny amount that they make up. And so if the working class wanted to go on a rampage, no one could stop them. It is only society and, and class divisions and class structure that keep these people in line or the belief that they don't have the power to do anything about the situation or society and it's like no you guys are the biggest voting block that's why jimmy man gerrymandering and all those other things in elections is so important to control the working class vote because they outnumber the middle classes and the upper classes if they yeah. only use their clout to their full advantage and that's even talking democratic democratically not even talking like in a violent sense you know yeah sure yeah, yeah. and so it is just the kind of shame because you're kind of going boxer actually has probably the right sense of morality to run this country properly or to run this farm properly because he would be fair he would be honest he would be just but unfortunately yeah. because of his intelligence level he is easily manipulated and easily swindled by those smarter than him and this is kind of where, you know, Marx kind of says in his um, in his works where he's like, this revolution has to come from the bottom. It has to come from the working class because they're the only people with the moral compass to steer society in the right direction. And as we've seen, this rebellion wasn't orchestrated from the bottom. It was orchestrated from the top. So that's why it's gone wrong very, very, very quickly. Yeah. So... What's also interesting is we were talking about the confessions, like why are these animals confessing when they're just being killed? Yeah. And basically these confessions and executions, especially those of the four young pigs, mirror Stalin's show trials in which many people confessed to all sorts of crimes and were killed for it. So it's basically the case that it's all for spectacle. It's all for instilling fear. It's all for going, look how powerful I am. But why? Well, why would they agree to that? Why did they, or were they like forced to behind the scenes? They're like, well, I think under Starling, it was probably like, you know, we can make things bad for your family and you. If you just confess, it ends with you. Do you know what I mean? It probably was threatened yeah. in order to kind of steer that kind of reaction out of people. Do you know what I mean? No. Also, it's amazing what, you know, starving and sleep deprivation can do. You can get all you can get people to confess to anything if you do those things. Sure. So who knows what kind of stuff was going on. Litcharts has also highlighted because the novel doesn't that the cat is gone. The reason why the rats aren't being killed is because the cat's scarpered. Oh. So notice Amazing. that the cat is gone now. Once the society stops working for her, she got out because unlike the other animals, she had the means to do so. So it's again another highlight, just like Molly last week, where yeah. the the middle class have basically been able to go, ah, do you know what? We can see this taking a turn. We're out of here. We're getting out while we can. It would be worse for us, even though it might be better for the masses. So I also get the impression yeah. that at no point of the rats ever been considered like comrades. Well, it's been like, oh, uh, yeah, no, it was voted that they were, but they were right at the beginning. That yeah. wasn't yeah. actually kind of that didn't manifest into any different treatment of them at all. You didn't feel yeah. like the treatment towards them changed in any way. Just lastly, the the thing that obviously this chapter finished off is with the Beast of England song being abolished. Now, you yeah. probably go, well, what's the point in that? Like, why have they abolished it? Basically, it says here in Lit Charts, uh, Squealer, unlike Napoleon, recognised that Animal Farm is in a place right now that's not all that different from Mr. Jones's rule. 
which necessitated Beasts of England as a unifying song. Now, however, allowing Beasts of England to be sung means that there's a chance the animals would realise that what they have now isn't actually what's spoken of in Beasts of England. In short, the song might stir them to rebellion all over again, necessitating this censorship to keep the pigs and dogs in power. So I don't know if this is comparable to anything that happened in Soviet Russia, Maybe there was some censorship in regards to academic works or original works of Marx in order to kind of go, no, no, because there is there is Marxism and there is Stalinism. Stalinism like is a different branch of it. So it would be interesting. I need to delve into my history and actually have a little look at what was censored, because we know stuff censored in China. We know stuff censored in North Korea in order not their own foundation songs. No, not necessarily. that is that seems strange but it would all depend on whether they felt that material acted against the state that they have currently formulated and want yeah. to keep in power so but i'm sure there's lots of examples of countries changing their national anthem to something that better suits the current probably. political mm. you know whatever it'd be interesting yeah. to know if if the russian national anthem changed during that time yeah we'll have to have a look at that that's the only thing. But, but what is interesting is that it's clear that the pigs, particularly Squealer and Napoleon, recognise that their regime is completely different from what animalism was meant to be. And mm-hmm. rather than going, oh, we've taken a wrong turn here. Let's see if we can get back to where we're meant to be. They've gone, no, this works for us. We're in charge. Nobody questions it. I walk around like a boss with my medals and my dogs. I get to sleep in a bed society's great as far as i'm concerned so it just again just shows that even people who set out with the best intentions in politics once you get into power once you have to then give up that power if your ideology is one of equality and that everyone has a say and all the rest of it it can be very difficult to get you know once you've had a bite of that poison apple very difficult then to give it up yeah so it's it's interesting. It's very interesting. As we've said before, like this, this definitely to me seems to be less of a commentary on communism and more of a commentary on human nature and the way that we react to power and interact with power. Yeah, definitely. yeah, yeah. Because the amount of times we've been able to compare it to Trump and yeah, that is about as opposite. Yeah, it's meant. But to, then that's meant also to at the same time, of course, it's not about because Napoleon is also the opposite of communism. Yeah. Um, it just it just happens it comes from a, it comes from a different starting point of the country itself. Yeah, yeah. I didn't think that that we would be able to find so many parallels between modern examples and situations. Um, but that's been really gratifying. Yeah, in a horrendous way. Yeah, but that's but that's <laughs> what I was kind of saying before. Where a lot of people draw the political spectrum as a straight line, but actually, when you get to those extremist ends, it's actually a circle. Because yeah. you can go extreme to the left and extreme to the right, but you end up in the same place, which is a dictatorship, a totalitarian sure. dictatorship. And it doesn't yeah. matter which way you go to get there. That, that's where you end up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you've got any thoughts or opinions on this <laughs> chapter, you can Sorry, message us really on funny. thelazybookclub at gmail.com. Or if you want to add to that really somber finish that you always <laughs> seem to be doing at the moment. That's why I laughed. You can do that on Twitter. And our handle is, as ever, at lazybookclubpod. Yeah, but just to lighten the mood, chickens. Chicken, funky chickens. Let's Send see us your them photos on Instagram of your favorite at Lazy Book Club Pod. Rack your chickens. I'm gonna start. A, I'm gonna start a sister podcast. <laughs>
<laughs> where we're going to take a chicken every week and we're going to discuss it. Are you going to be rating cocks? <laughs> <laughs> Cock of the week. Oh, there you go. There's the light humor that you guys tune in for. We're also available on Patreon now, which is lazy book club pod on there and if you subscribe then you get an extra bonus episode a month currently but we will add more benefits to that as we go on as well we're just kind of getting our act together but right now there is Hansel and Gretel up there as a bonus episode for all those people who decide to support us so thank you very much for that and as usual please do share with your friends and rate us on iTunes five stars and leave a review as well if you've enjoyed this book or this episode oh yeah write a little cheeky review Going forward, we only actually have three chapters left of this, don't we? Eight, nine, and ten. That's great. Yeah, it's 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 definitely coming up to a big conclusion. Yeah, so please do, leading in these next few weeks, let us know if there are any books that you would love for us to read on the podcast because this is now this is the time when we start picking what our next book is gonna be. So if you have any ideas, if you have anything that you think, oh Josh would sound great doing that, or this has got loads of wacky characters, please do this, then do send it into any of those. Oh this is rife for pun work. This would be great. It's true. (laughs) Yeah. Send us humor and then we can pass it off as our own <laughs> exactly. then we, we won't credit you like of... we'll just get no of course we would credit you that would be you know. yeah <laughs> i mean anything that's gonna make humor easier than you know a load of animals getting their throats ripped out <laughs> Sleep family friendly yeah exactly <laughs> there you go so no chapter eight next week we will see you then bye bye Ta-ra. <laughs>